Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 30 Minute CMO Podcast, the first one of uh, the new year, 2021. My name is Gorsha Kuchuan. I'm joined by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year. How is 2021 going for you? Um, I feel like it's going like that meme set today. I, um, I, I used my seven day free trial and I'm ready to cancel. <laughs> I, oh am ready, I am ready to cancel this year. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's been a disaster already. But uh, no, all things considered, all things considered. Um, so listen, uh, again, this is our weekly Ad Talk edition. I'm glad to have this format back. Uh, and uh, we have quite a few things to discuss, um, you know, in the world of marketing, uh, worlds that are adjacent to marketing, which seems to be an ever-expanding universe. Uh, again, to remind you guys, we uh, launched the website uh, somewhat recently. It's www.30minutecmo.com. Uh, we also uh, post on our Instagram channel at the 30 Minute CMO and on LinkedIn as well. So please uh, engage with us there. And uh, I guess we can go right into our first topic, Alex. Yeah. So, Gorsha, thank you very much for gifting me Hilton Gold status today. I really appreciated that. I didn't have to, I didn't have to spend thirty nights at a Hilton or spend or or you know just came g- you. accumulate hundreds of thousands of points, but just it just arrived to me in my in my inbox this afternoon. Um, so I appreciate that, and I I thought it was a really interesting uh, New Year's concept for them. Travel is low, mm-hmm. as we all know. It's the 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 never ending topic, but I thought it was a really interesting way for them to get their super loyal cu- customers because you are a, a diamond member super Sorry. loyal how how can they get a you know a new base of people to go to hilton's this year um when uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough a tough at least six months for them so i thought you know their idea of selecting their most loyal customers to then select a fr- family or friend who they think will go and use the Hilton the most was a great way to, was a great way to do that. Yeah. And it was interesting uh, how this exchange between us went, right? Because I, um, I received this email from them a few, a couple of weeks ago. They give you a deadline until the end of the month to no- nominate someone um, or select someone to give the status to. And I reached out to you and your first question was uh, sort of, why are they doing this? You know, aside yep. from like, yes, I want this, but why are they doing this? And um, I think it's exactly what you said. It's, you know, the cost of them giving out status for a year is zero. I mean, A, they know few people will use it probably in the first few months anyway. Um, the cost of acquisition is incredibly high um, because, um, you know, it's just paid marketing. Um, and how do you appeal to someone like you who in normal years might be uh, chasing that status through the nights spent in a Hilton, but how do you build someone yep. like you who uh, right now just you're not in the market, right? But what they did here was they automatically created a bias in your head because of the conversation you and I had to select Hilton for whatever stays you have. Hopefully you yep. they think that you'll experience the bennies like free breakfast, room upgrades, increased points, and they might just have you for the rest of your traveling life after that. So that's the bet I think they're taking low out-of-pocket costs, high potential returns. Yeah, I mean, and you're not going to select someone who is a you know a, a competitor loyal member. So you've already right. eliminated f- on their behalf the uh, the targeting because 
you know, you're going to go, you're going to go with someone who has either, you know, they're a Hilton user, but has, uh, you know, no status or silver status, um, or you're going to go with someone who doesn't have a loyalty program at all. And right. I, I'm, you know, you know, that I, I'm now a Hilton Hilton user because we 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 would travel a lot together and we'd all, I would just piggyback on your Hilton benefits and actually now I'm hooked on American Airlines because you had all the status on American Airlines and I got to benefit from that so you know I'm now giving them all of my my money and my work travel money well when we used to do that so you know you're you're making it easier for them to get someone in like i would love to keep gold status for next year so like now what i'm going to try and do is go to hilton's so i can get the free breakfast because that's 25 bucks a, a day saved thank you very per person per person and this applies to per like person. if you if you if, if you went with uh your significant other that would apply to uh her as well yeah so like i mean i yeah like you said incredibly cheap for them to do yeah, it's just an email blast. It's not going to be very expensive for them, for for me to want to now keep this gold. You I know, mean, once you've once you've tasted steak, it's hard to go back to rice. Uh, amen, amen. Well, I hope amen. you enjoy. I hope you get some use out of it, um, and it'll be interesting to see on your own example whether this is um, this is going to work out for them in the long run. Um, so switching tracks a little bit, um, a very new concept uh, for, I think, this market. I think there's a lot of talk about social selling, um, but this is really a concept that I became familiar with more intimately in the recent weeks as I started looking into China and what's happening there. And for those who don't know, social selling basically takes uh, the modern social platforms um, and merges it uh, with um, the home shopping network QVC model that was so prevalent on TV in the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s. Uh, it's um, these dedicated platforms, especially in China. Uh, some of them are exploding in the popularity with hundreds of millions of users, um, where um, influencers, celebrities, but also normal people or even businesses go and through a live stream, think like Instagram live stream type of thing sell product. Uh, they sell product to an audience and that audience discovers, you know, they come to that platform because they want to be entertained. They want to shop. They want to get a deal. They want to, you know, they want to hang out with their, um, you know, peers. Um, it creates this very dynamic environment where people are asking questions, commenting on whatever the celebrity or the seller is, is saying. Um, they get responses in real time, uh, but they're also haggling. On the price, you know, if someone goes and says, you know, this is 300 yuan, um, you know, in China, um, someone will say, well, I'm going to offer you 250, you know, and so it's a it's a very interesting concept. So it started getting traction in the U.S. Not quite in the same sort of way. In many ways, the U.S. is a very different market from China in terms of online consumption. But I discovered a platform called Talkshop Live, Talkshop.live, for those who want to Google it, uh, where in a more traditional sense, you can start um, seeing how social selling um, takes place here. Celebrities, influencers, brands are on that platform um, pitching their products. Usually it's one product, two products, you know, it's fairly limited um, over a 30 minute, 60 minute sort of session, not super highly produced. They're pitching it to people who are on that platform to find interesting kind of streams to watch, again, commenting, sharing, 
um, their thoughts, um, that sort of thing, and buying right from the platform. Um, you don't have to go anywhere. You can just click buy and um, you know you, you pay right there. I think they take like a 30% cut from, from each transaction. So I think it's very interesting. I'm still very much uh, learning about this, but uh, I do think that this is the future. You know, like if we spent all of last year watching um, funny videos on TikTok, like the commercialization of that behavior in the US has to be following soon. And I'm not talking about just watching ads. I think ads are becoming like everyone is inundated. Every other post on LinkedIn is an ad for me on LinkedIn, um, Instagram. I think it's the social oh, selling. Yeah. Social selling is uh, around the corner. So, so on 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 talk shop, do is that integrated into the social channels? Um, so that whilst you're scrolling through, doom scrolling through Instagram, does it appear and and do you engage with it that way, or is it a, is it its own separate thing you have to go to? You know what? I don't know. Uh, to be honest, uh, if if it is or isn't, this is this is still me learning about this, but. I do know that there are uh, platforms like Social Life, for instance, and others that allow you to multi-stream um, into yeah. different places. So my thinking is the smart people would uh, multi-stream um, into Talkshop Live, Instagram Live, Facebook Live, uh, and you know maybe YouTube Live. That's really that's a I mean that as a, as a separate topic. That's a really interesting proposition as well. Uh, I was just going through Talkshop Live, and I can see. Paul McCartney is on there hawking yeah. his new songbook with CD. Um, so it feels like they are trying to get a almost like cameo style in terms of the the caliber of of sellers that they got on there to try and build this audience to to visit them in order to um, to to generate the buzz around going to this destination to you know interact with your celebrity, but also to try and get them to sell you sell some of their stuff yeah uh you know what makes me think that this might not be necessarily the the platform that takes off is the slightly older celebrity uh that you see on there like a paul mccartney like a paula dean um yeah. so to your point i think this might be a platform that's not as promising as um, whatever Facebook might be cooking up with potentially Instagram and Shopify integrations on on the yeah. social life uh, social selling angle, but you know I look at platforms like Pinduoduo, the Little Red Book, um, they're insane. Like what's going on in China? What's going on um, in general in the Asian market, which is mobile first, social heavy, um, very unique platforms. These platforms are being built for uh, commercial uh, realization from the get go. Yeah. I mean, I think I think I think every every kind of social platform now is is looking at you know the steps that have taken from Facebook and Instagram and Snap and and building that out from from the get go because there's there's no way that you can have that data and all of those users and not now monetize more directly than just ads um, and you know taking the the Apple um, apps approach to you know the thirty percent. You know you got you got, you got your thirty percent man now, um, yeah. taking all the taking their cut. But I think you know when you, we're talking about the um, the the older, all the more sort of legendary uh, celebrities on there, um, and if you look at the sort of the age demographic of Facebook as well, and the audience that would watch QVC, you can kind of see where 
you know, where they may not be targeting the younger generation on TikTok because they don't have as much disposable income. That's true. But if you can create a platform that is, you know, Facebook-esque, where you've got all of your, you know, older, you know, we were on Facebook when it first came out. Now we're, now we're definitely not the younger generation anymore. But you can see where you can have a QVC style audience, but on mobile and ready to pull the trigger, but with the with one tap. And then and then you know, and then you've got a sale. Yeah. I you know, I think we uh, owe it to our listeners to have a um, to have a pod dedicated to this, uh, maybe yeah. with someone who um, who's doing that currently. So let's put a pin on it and revisit this in the next few weeks uh, as we learn more about social selling. So from one streaming um, selling product to one streaming keeping you on the couch, uh, another streaming service has launched as if we need another one, um, make it end. But Discovery Plus is coming to your device slash smart TV um, soon. $4.99 with ads. So I've seen a trend of the, the prices going lower and lower because mm-hmm. they know they're not going to compete because you've got your streaming roster. You know, you've know you got your holster of your go-tos, the Netflix, your Disney Plus, um, and they're not trying to be your primary they want to be the support and i've you've heard me and the listeners have heard me rant about the amount of nonsense that's getting pumped out now with every studio and every channel trying to have their own you know cut of the pie but for the first time i've seen a secondary you know the the support streaming service that actually makes sense no one cares about cbs and there, no one cares about Peacock. There may be one thing you want to watch on it. You're not going to pay that just to access, you know, whatever it is. But Discovery Plus has a roster of channels that people act. You know, Discovery has channels that people care about. Shark History Week Channel, this, yeah, Shark Week, Discovery Channel, HGTV. Like, where else are you gonna get your Chip and Joanna Gaines fix? So, like, this is all gonna be in there for five bucks a month with ads. I think it's seven ninety nine without ads. And I feel like this is the one channel that has content that spans enough of the things that you care about you know that you would actually add to your roster of you know netflix and your premium um original content services Mm -hmm. um like the netflix and the hulus and to some extent prime um but as you're like go to like day-to-day tv like you want to watch 30 minutes of of something or you want to put something in the background this could actually be the one Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, interesting that you brought this one up. I I think that the Discovery has always like even as a TV channel, as a cable channel, have carved out quite a quite a niche uh, on content that is man like no one could replicate the kind of stuff they get away with. But it's incredibly popular. And they market it so brilliantly. I mean, they've created an event around Shark Week. So I yeah. do think that you're right. This is going to be uh, probably fairly successful. The price point seems to be right. I don't. I think people won't mind paying. Uh, 4.99 and have the ads be there because it's almost part of the experience um you know and liberty media which owns discovery um is you know they have some interesting properties including formula one um so i wonder if you know they can start building out this uh you know with what you mentioned plus um some live stuff that's exclusive to them and really drive up um the stakes in the in the in that space i I did not make the connection between the two Liberty medias. That is a very good point. And I was, I'm a big Formula One fan. So I would actually probably buy this because I haven't watched Formula One in, in months. 
because of lack of access. Also, Some, damn time zones in Europe. What I think is great, like what it got me into Formula One, just as an aside, brilliant move on, on Formula One's part, Liberty's part to be, to be exact, is um, allowing behind the scenes documentary style um, filmmaking to happen that they then put on Amazon Prime, which is just, it blows my mind. The characters they have there get fully exposed, the tension, the drama. I'm a Formula One fan based on that. And I want to watch the races yeah. because now I am familiar with everyone. Their move to commercialize the what the behind the scenes stuff, mint. I, I I this is this is definitely taking a tangent, but a good tangent in terms of content development and um, repositioning the brand because it was seen as an elite, an elite sport that you had to really spend a lot of time thinking about and understanding and and like kind of researching to really understand what the hell is going on and their drive to survive series as over the top as it is and as like not entirely factual as it is there's definitely added drama but i've had so many friends come to me and say like i'm now a formula one fan because i watched you know the second season of drive to survive and it's brilliant and and it is because yeah now you act I'm like you know my significant other she watched Drive to Survive with me and then for a whole season would know what was going on. Like she knew that, you know, Daniel Ricciardo moved from Red Bull to Renault. So we're watching it like six months later when he lost the race because of, you know, DNF. She was like, he shouldn't have moved to Renault. He should have stayed at Red Bull. I'm like, how did you even remember that? <laughs> but it's like, but you, you, you develop the understanding of who and right. what and why and where. And their Instagram feed is one excessive with their posting but <laughs> brilliant in terms of the content that they can produce their youtube channel is constantly being refreshed with like the latest highlights so you can go there the next day and the issue that we had previously was the digital rights were always um factored into whoever was buying the tv rights and now they're separated out and this is happening with premier league as well um but they're they're really taking um, a way that you can get bite-sized chunks of of content and watching it where you are, and that then that's really engaging all of the viewers in the in the sport, which they desperately need more support from because people you know before this didn't really care about Formula One because it was very elitist. Uh, I'll just call, a massive I'll, tangent. <laughs> I'll just call this out, but um, the principal of the Renault team, the ever grumpy, I think his name is Cyril. Whew, yeah, love Cyril. that guy. Love Cyril. Did not know who oh. he was until the Amazon Prime series. Oh, Gunter Steiner. That's and uh, Gunter that's Steiner. Yeah, <laughs> those two. Those two. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I wanted to um, call out a couple of other things, sort of related to the streaming conversation that we're having, really quickly. And I think I may have touched on this before, but I'll do this again. Um, we are not able to attend theater. Uh, theater has been closed. Everyone is obviously struggling there. And um, it's, it's just a horrible situation. Um, but a platform called Marquee TV uh, is bringing uh, premier sort of theatrical performances in a streaming format for you know similar price points that we are talking about um, right to your living room. Um, they record from multiple uh, theaters around the world, you know, talking about the Met, talking about, um, you know, the theaters in London. And, um, you know, it's still, it's obviously a niche, a niche play, not every, you know, the majority of people will not, will not subscribe to them. But I think it's doing two very important things. One, 
opening up theater to more folks at home to maintaining mm -hmm. uh, interest in theater and get, getting those artists in performance speed. Um, it's actually a, um, something that uh, I'm getting from my mom uh, because she is a huge theater nerd and um, misses it a lot. And I think for people like her and for many others, um, this is the niche streaming service that they would go for. My mom doesn't care about you know any of, of the Netflixes and Amazon Primes and any of that stuff. But this is the kind of thing that I know she'll get a kick out of. And so uh, I'm all for those types of um, uh, streaming services appearing. And if they're charging 10 or 20 bucks a month and it's supporting um, an art form that is struggling so much, all in. This is, this is a really, I, I hadn't heard of this until, until right now. But it's, it's like in, in England, they used to do live live streaming performances in the cinema on shows that were totally sold out you couldn't get tickets to so it, you know it's it's really democratizing the the theater experience where you know the the real barrier was was could you get tickets and could you afford tickets because they are not cheap yeah. unless you're in a you know and i've and i've got i've had to go and sit in you know not great seats they were in the balcony and they were cheap because um they weren't you couldn't see that much but you know if you want if you want if you don't have 250 bucks to fork out per seat it's very hard to go and like want to go and watch this and i think this is a brilliant idea to keep a very important cultural aspect alive both in um right now when you can't be there but in general to find an alternative form of funding um, because all of this can be watched year round, not just yeah. during the season. Yeah. And it's, it's being able to funnel money into a, a something that is, is very, very important to every country's sort of cultural, um, heritage. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I think, I, I think this is great. And just in, if, if we have any uh, listeners who are into this, uh, the national theater out of London has a dedicated app where they have all of their performances live as well. And it's also a, a subscription service. Um, so check that out. Um, just one last thought on streaming. I wanted to ask you this question. Uh, obviously we're in the audio space ourselves with this podcast. Um, what about, um, yeah, I have two questions about this and you wanted to hear your thoughts. One is, do you think they're struggling? Do you think anyone's listening to audiobooks when they're sitting at home and not really driving? I think so. Yeah. I think, I actually think it's audible. Will her, this is a personal opinion based on zero data is I actually think there will have been an increase in audible subscriptions as more people run out of stuff to do. So you can, you know, if you run out of your podcast, you've finished all of the episodes of 30 Minutes CMO um, and you need something else to do whilst you're cooking dinner, um, cleaning the house, you're just bored out of your mind watching TV. I think, you know, I've listened to both less and more podcasts and books at the same time because I don't want to be sitting around because I do so much sitting now because you can't do anything else that you want to be like, walking around listening to a book i think you know driving was my main time to listen but i think with the lack of alternative entertainment i think it's i, I don't think it's going to have a decrease that's my opinion 
Well, fair enough. I um, I know that my uh, listening of Audible fluctuates up and down depending on the month, I guess. Um, but what I, the, the second question I wanted to ask uh, kind of out loud is, are there actually any alternatives, like good alternatives to Audible? Because Audible is excellent. Um, they do an excellent job. They have the resources of Amazon. Um, but as we talk about streaming services and all of the kind of the A players, B players, niche, like are there... Yeah. Um, you know, are there alternatives that you're aware of? No, I mean, the only alternative is is the iTunes store um, to buy audiobooks. But I don't know of another. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are in the same way that there are other places to get your podcasts than Apple podcasts. But I don't, they haven't done a very good job of advertising, especially, well, I haven't seen any ads for them. So I don't, I, I wouldn't know of anything on top of my head. And I don't know of anything that I would go to other than iTunes to see the price and then Audible to um, to rent for free. That being said, this is not technically a subscription, but local libraries yes. and Santa Monica Library in particular, Hoopla, if you have a Santa Monica Library account, you can log into Hoopla and you can get, um, you can get a limited amount of free um, rentals at a time but i don't think there's a limit on the total amount so you can get access to their library of audiobooks um for free which i think is a great alternative but not technically uh like a streaming service it's just interesting to me that i mean there's one super dominant player in this space uh they're owned by amazon they've been owned by amazon for a while and really zero competition around you they sucked all the air out of the out, out of the audiobook space or it's just, um, you know, it's just not really a, a monetizing kind of opportunity for other companies and Amazon can afford to, you know, it's an extension of their overall kind of book heritage. But there's a company out of Europe called Storytel that's now available in the US and they specialize in audiobooks as well. Um, highly rated, but I just don't know what their library is. Um, so that might be, that might be an alternative. Yeah. I can imagine that once Amazon gets the, um, gets the rights to something, it's very hard to also have rights to it. And it's not as easy as it is to imagine to make um, the the amount of people coming at you with um, TV content ideas like Netflix and, and Hulu have. Um, I don't know if it's as easy to to get the same access to content for for new books that people will want to um, get into. I think you're right. It's probably like Amazon comes in and says, "We'll buy the rights for this and the audio version." Yeah. And it's easy for them to get both. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there's a there's an audio only. But it's a very good question. It's a very good question. So um and uh so looking at um redesigns, the CIA have just released their new logo and website, and it is very different. Um it's uh it's it's definitely taking a, a stand on who they want to talk to. And what you know, what kind of person you want to talk to? It's very sleek. It's very 2020, 2020, It's very different to the the old CIA logo, um, and it's been modernized by what looks like a very trendy independent design shop that's trying to stand out from the um, the big holding companies. Um, it looks very much like a Foursquare um, website, uh, but I kind of like it. I kind of like that they've tried to be not stuffy, not corporate, 
not governmental and you know they've done a, a they've definitely tried to be more diverse in terms of who they're representing and and who they're targeting because as you know you've heard all the stories of ivy league um selections you get approached by some mysterious white man um somewhere and they go we know about you when you come join the cia so this feels like it's a very you know good attempt at becoming more relevant to sort of the the world as it is right now uh yeah you know cia is playing catch up in many ways to the military uh the u.s military has been um has been a highly commercialized um you know marketing machine for for many many years now and actually had the i would call it a privilege i had the privilege to work on the u.s marines account at the beginning of my career and uh you know these uh these branches of the military uh, are very sophisticated marketers. They know that their audience is um, young. Uh, that's what they're trying to recruit. And you have to appeal to them in certain ways that um, that's that's relevant. And I think uh, the CIA uh, is battling for talent now, uh, more so than they've ever had to before, uh, because the people that they're going after, you have to just assume, have quite a few choices that they can opt into. You know, these are, um, after all, smart analytical folks with education who are mm-hmm. um, prime targets to be recruited by, you know, the corporate world. So, what can CIA do to s- distinguish itself, spark that interest? Because you know they're not paying what you know a bank will pay or a tech company will pay. So, uh, long overdue. I'm surprised actually that it only happened just now. But CIA is famously slow when it comes to um, kind of getting digitizing its public image. I think it was. Uh, uh, do you remember when they launched on Twitter? I they do launched? not. They had a, a CIA uh, CIA's first Twitter uh, tweet was legendary, but it only happened a few years ago. Uh, they launched with a tweet in 2014 that said, "We can neither confirm nor deny that this is our first tweet." <laughs> It's quite funny, you know, which which clearly says that they know that they understand the space, but they are very reluctant to uh, leverage for their own benefit. So well, well done, CIA. I think the site looks sharp and um, it, you know, does the does the trick. I imagine there's a lot of red tape uh, when it comes to anything public facing with the CIA, whether it's whether it's setting up a Twitter account, whether it's getting a redesign, whether it's changing the logo. I imagine there's a, from a security point of view, a lot of things that have to happen. And then from an approval point of view, I can only imagine the layers that have to go through in terms of your clients, the next client, the next client up. Can you imagine being the account account director at an agency on the CIA account? It's like, okay, we're going to do a work back schedule. So uh, building the site, six months, uh, approvals, three years. Three, three years of approvals. I can our only goal, imagine our, the feedback uh, you're getting. Our goal is to try to do it within a single presidential administration so that the director doesn't change over and the process starts again. <laughs> oh my, I can only imagine what happened with the, with the Trump administration. That's probably why it took so long. They, they had it all ready to go in, uh, in 2015. And then, um, and then the directors kept changing. So they kept you know, going back through the approval gates. That's the problem. 
That's that the problem. Is, yeah, but you know, I applaud any any good effort by uh, the federal government to get into the modern age. So, huh? well done, yeah. CIA. And it and it doesn't suck. It it looks really good. I do like the logo. There's been some some funny funny comments about what they're trying to do. But to be honest, given it's a very very governmental corporate uh, website, it it is actually not too bad. Not too bad. Could have been worse. All right. Well, I think uh, this is our pod for today. Is that not? I think so. I think we're out of time and out of we're, topics. We're out of time and never out of topics. Never out of topics. We'll save them we for the so many more. We have so many more topics to cover. We'll, we'll save them for next time. Yes, we'll save them for next time. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. And uh, we we'll look forward to sharing new themes with you next week. Alex, have a great uh, evening. You too.